catch up on all the live shows right here on africatechradio.com. Drinking straws, takeaway packs and policing bags may be taking all the hit, but truly, isn't our over-reliance on them the real reason they are still there? We are in the midst of a plastic crisis. From transport to manufacturing and food services, plastics are everywhere. And fighting this pollution will require more than just blaming the plastic straws, the takeaway packs and the polythene bags. We'll need to do more. Out of 54 countries in Africa, 34 have either passed a law banning plastics and implemented it or have passed a law with intention of implementation. Of these 34 countries, 16 have totally banned plastic bags or have done so partially without yet introducing regulations to enforce the bans. When compared to the rest of the world, Africa is seemingly doing a great job but what's the reality of these plastic bands and how have they helped to improve anything at all? I spoke to three female waste printers from around Africa who got nominated in the top 10 final list of the first Afri Plastic Challenge strand tagged Accelerating Growth. Raisian Labai, Communications and Media Liaison for Chemolex, Lois Kukunda, Scientist and Product Development at Uganda Industrial Research Institute, and Faith Obange, CEO at Luanda Biotech. So I started by asking for the right way to pronounce their names so that you can hear it directly from them. Uh, it's pronounced as Lois Kukunda, which was what you said exactly, so there's no difference, you know how to say it. Okay, thank you very much. And Faith Obange. Yes, I am very well, thank you, and you pronounced it perfectly. It's Faith Obange. Thank you. Resian. Don't overthink it. Oh, don't overthink it. Resian Labai. Yes, don't overthink it. Exactly. (laughs) And then they went on to talk about their individual solutions. Faith first, and then Lois, and then Resian. Yes, we produced, uh, it's bio-based, biodegradable bioplastic from agricultural waste that is designed from the get-go to look and function and feel like conventional plastic. And that's important because introducing something that has a different use case from what the consumer is used to has marketing implications. But not only that, you know, behavior change it takes time to effect. So because we are dealing with a, an urgent problem, it is important that the solutions do not require time for the user to get used to. And ours is one of those solutions. Mm. Okay. I think Lois... A solution is to produce biodegradable, stroke by compostable, handmade fiber packaging paper bags. And then we use agricultural waste materials. And the uniqueness is that these are totally biodegradable, eco-friendly solutions that are able to decompose in the naturally available condition. We make them in case like you're tired of using it, you have used it, recycled it uh, over and over again. You can dispose it naturally, maybe in soil, and then it will be able to decompose in two to two weeks in a natural environment. So, And when it degrades, then it even becomes compost or manure, and then it survives in the environment, like just changes to any other form naturally. Uh-huh. Okay. And Raisian? 
We make bioplastic material that is 100% biodegradable using water hyacinth that has encroached Lake Victoria. So we're pretty much using one threat against the other threat. But even when this material is over, because the big question would be then what happens when you have finished using the water hyacinth? We can use any other organic waste, especially food waste, to create uh, this bioplastic through fermentation that uh, 100% decomposes within a month or at most within a month. And, that's and our target is largely food packaging, but also diapers, because based on the activities that we have been doing prior to this project, we realized the biggest polluters in the environment is uh, sanitary towels and diapers. And unfortunately, these are the ones that take up to 400 years to decompose. So we are telling ourselves if we are able to provide a material because our bioplastic can also be used in the manufacture of diapers and sanitary towels, then even if people discard it and it's not collected, it doesn't remain as an eyesore. So largely, aside from diapers and sanitary towels, the biggest problem is packaging materials. Say, for example, the single-use packaging material, tissues are wrapped in plastic, rice is wrapped in plastic, sugar, everything, all these consumables are wrapped in plastic. For me, my emphasis would be on producer responsibility, you know, because if we're going to package these things in these materials that we know are not sustainable, we know are going to be carelessly discarded in the environment, then we ought to express a better responsibility either in packaging it in materials that would be easily biodegradable or ensuring that we have a system that ensures that even on the ground, because there's something that I always raise when I go to some of these events and you meet, um, you know, conventions with people who are packaging or manufacturing in plastic under Petco. And you would find in behind or on the cover of these wrappers written 100% recyclable or return it to this and this address for recycling. But the address written on the packaging, I'm living, say, on the east side of Nairobi, and the packaging location or the recycling location is on the extreme end of town. What incentive do I have to leave my work, take one piece of paper to this particular facility for recycling? So pretty much it just turns out to be another PR attempt to just trying to make it look like you care when you actually don't. It would have been easier if, say, the supermarkets where you buy this stuff from. Those can be the collection centers for recycling. Then it's easier because every time I go for shopping, I can take back what I have. So for me, we're just not committed enough. From the government to the producers, if we are able to reduce the amount of plastic waste we put out in the first place, then we are halfway towards solving that problem. Uh-huh. Faith, do you think we have a plastic problem or a plastic waste problem? I think we have a plastic waste problem. As Africa, we don't have a shortage of plastics, mainly because a lot of it is imported and then processed here into the various products, bottles and thin films and whatnot. So the, the, the supply is not a problem. The problem is what happens after we are done using the plastic. And that is something that us, as Rwanda Biotech, we have to design with the end user in mind. And to be honest, plastic was not designed with the, how the end user what the end user does with this product once they're done with it. Then lies the problem because you have no control over what the end user does. So therefore, if you don't design a product that does not require the participation and you know collaboration and cooperation of the end user, then you're designing to fail. And that is the problem with plastic. That's why we have a plastic waste problem. It's here. The users don't know what to do with it. They just leave it there in the environment. So I think for us as entrepreneurs, the challenge is, of course, to design with the end user in mind. And that's what uh, solutions like ours offer. And would you blame the producers for this particular problem, like the fact that we still have this problem till now? 
I blame, yes, the producers, but also the, the regulatory authorities that are in place. Because let's be honest, when you're running a company, especially one that is not social impact oriented, their concern is the bottom line. So therefore, the people that need to step in to make sure that those concerns are addressed is the government agencies and the regulatory authorities that lie under them. And they seem to be trying to put systems in place, but the enforcement is not as strong. Case in point, Kenya actually has a thin film plastic ban that is in effect, I think, since 2017, actually, yes. So the government actually enacted legislation in that regard. But from the comfort of my home, when I order vegetables online, they can arrive at my doorstep wrapped in thin film plastic. So you see, it's, it's a question of what is the regulatory authorities doing about this because the companies they feel like they have followed the law to the letter and in this case <laughs> if the law somehow has a loophole that still allows these things to be coming into kenya i mean you can't blame the producers anymore at this point now it is the government agencies to act and they need to act swiftly and and firmly the way i think india india just had a very strict plastic ban a few weeks ago and so the plastic producers in that in that country are scrambling for solutions right now i think that is something that we should try and you know lobby more for on the african continent mm, i'll get to that but let me take lois lois you're with the industrial research institute in uganda and why exactly did you think of a solution like this from my background of environmental science, we all know that petroleum-based fuels, like where we have the most traditional plastic coming from, we all know that it causes um, climate change. But for the case of Africa, I feel plastic waste problem is escalating at a faster rate because of its waste management problem. So you find that in Africa, first of all, we have a growing population very fast, like Uganda. I think we are one of the countries with a fast growing uh, population with the youth at the, at the tip. So what does that mean? This means also like in our consumption um, patterns, the way we package, because with also industrialization coming in place, a lot of waste is put in place. For example, we'll find that in Africa, like 30% of the total waste collection, that is plastic, 13%. Even research says that 80% of the products which are used, that is plastics, they are used for single use. And for example, even the production of a toothbrush, just one toothbrush generates 1.5 kilogram of waste. So we find that waste generation management systems, they outcompete the recycling system. So at this rate, if we can be able to first uh, like curb the waste management issues, which we try to do at the Re in Uganda Industrial Research Institute, first of all, by linking with Kampala City Center Authority to see how they can better manage the waste and also discourage or like limit the production of plastics by a solution which we are providing at URI, that is uh, the solution of uh, providing or trying to replace the plastics with the biodegradable and biocompostable paper packaging materials, then we are good to go. Mm. Okay. But can you link a current challenge in your city where you are to the issue we have on ground? In Kampala City, like the metropolitan area, we have uh, 600 tons of plastics being produced every day. 
and only of that 6% is recyclable. And in Uganda, actually, it's more challenging because, for example, we do not have, I can say, a political will because even while the ban is not on, it's not enforced. Uh, for example, NEMA, which is in charge of imprintation of the ban of single-use plastic packaging bag that is called a cavera of 30 microns and below. So when the government put a ban, there's still, even if you come today, there's still a lot of plastic bags being sold. Even you find shops of uh, just shops selling plastic bags. So these shops get the plastic bags from manufacturers. So there's a lot of things to do, including the political will. I'd want us to also share experiences of experiences of these challenges in our city and how they are impacting um, the cities where we live in. Um, Raysian and then Faith. Sure. Like I mentioned before, we have an existing project where we clean up rivers to reduce rather not completely remove the amount of plastic waste in majorly two rivers, River Athi and River Angong, River Nairobi and Mazare, which is its tributary. So we have uh, put in, in those rivers plastic capture devices. And from these four rivers only, we fish out about five tons of plastic a month. So you can imagine the amount of plastic waste that ends up in waterways. Why? Because people carelessly discard them. When it rains, it all goes into the waterways, into the drainages, eventually into the rivers and eventually into the ocean. And that's a whole new conversation in terms of the risks and whatnot. So there's something I relate with that uh, Lois said in, in terms of the government, yes, has put a ban on these plastic bags, but you would still go to traders in the market and they are comfortably packaging their products in uh, plastic like nothing like nothing has happened. Like it, It's no big deal. One thing I like to do is I like to actually speak to them from a level that they can understand. And what we used to do, or personally what I used to do if I go to buy a meal and they wrap it in plastic, first I ask, how is it that you're still using these plastic bags? They would give reasons like, but you see, there's no alternative. And also to some extent, it kind of makes sense because if it's there is a meal, a, a maize meal with beans and it has a bit of soup. So if you package it in something that is not plastic, of course it will leak. So they would say there is no alternative. I would talk about how about you encourage people to bring their own, you know, containers. But then you realize sometimes you probably stepped out or you're coming from work, you realize you want to buy this thing and you didn't carry your container. So again, you, the very person who seems concerned about the environment, will be willing to take that plastic bag because you don't want to go back, uh, to go all the way back home and come back and get that stuff. Yeah. So unless we have alternatives, and uh, I think that's why this uh, challenge is important. Not unless we have alternatives that are just as convenient as plastic bags, it will really be hard to convince people to abandon this form of packaging for the other. Except we have something that's as convenient. Faith, um, what do you think? Yeah, so I'm very happy that at the beginning you said that we've experienced some flooding in Lagos because that is actually the inspiration for why I created this company. When I was 14 years old, me and my family were living in a slum. And, and you're African, so you're familiar with African slums. The drainage systems there are, <laughs> at the best, terrible. So one day there was a flooding incident and I found out the next day by walking around, it was because one of the main drainages had been blocked by, you know, bottles, these PET bottles and the, the, the packaging, the thin film black packaging. 
So then I started to wonder why why are there no alternatives? Why why, why isn't plastic like a banana that disappears after some time? And then that is how the idea of creating bioplastics was born, and that's why we're here. So uh, as far as uh, how it affects us, I know urban flooding. This is a not often highlighted effect of plastic pollution. Urban flooding is a direct result of plastic pollution, and with that comes waterborne diseases, vector-borne diseases, malaria, etc. And, you know, this is actually now turning into a public health issue, in my view. And that's something that we should take into concern. So the reason why this problem persists is because, first of all, of course, there's the lack of proper regulation. Uh, The laws are there, but enforcement is a challenge all across the board. But also there's the the factor that through our market research, we found out that convenience is a very big issue for end users, especially men. African men are not socialized to carry around handbags. They're not socialized to carry around anything bigger than their wallet. (laughs) So telling an African man, to take their plastic bag home and then come with it next time. My end user interviews show that it will just not work. So therefore, you must design your product with that end user in mind. So as Wonder Biotech, we have designed a PET bottle replacements and thin film packaging replacement with the end user in mind, knowing good and well that they cannot be depended on to reuse this product. 30 um, or 30 plus African countries out of the 54 have adopted some form of, you know, anti-plastic bag policies since the year 2000. Um, Just like you've all said here now, we've all talked about the fact that the bans have not or seem not to be working. Um, Lois, should we introduce more bans across Africa? And how important is it for us to implement these bans that we have introduced? I feel we sh- we need to continue to introduce and implement uh, these bans until they work. Of course, as I had said earlier, mentioned about the political willingness, I guess we are the people who will have to again influence the policy, even walking into implementing agencies. For example, in my country, for NEMA, National Management Environment Authority, and my solution with its um, environmental conscious person as my person, like if we can be able to convince them and make them aware and educate them and having them on board, then eventually they can be able to pick a point. We have countries, for example, like our neighbor Rwanda. Rwanda started its and um, plastic bag policy in 2000. Those are more than 15 years. And we have seen it being successful in this. And because I know that their policy uh, enforcement works. So in my own view, I feel if we can just emphasize policy, then we will have this to go. Because definitely we cannot forget about the bans because they don't work. No, we have to get uh, better ways or through awareness, through education programs, and then we initiate our solutions, convince them that our solutions are here, they are working, like Faith has talked about, convenient alternative, like a man can carry, in my case, men can carry paper bags, then they can carry bottles, such solutions together, which I'm sure we can have a solution worked on. Grace, and you share the thoughts of Lois. You think we should continue on the path of bans? While plastics were actually created to save the environment by reducing the cutting down of trees, but it's clearly come out that people will not take responsibility, even when it's obvious. For me, it's enforcement, enforcement, enforcement. Like particularly in Kenya, we always have very good laws and policies, 
but enforcement becomes an issue. And why I know enforcement can make a difference, it's because we've seen there was a section of Nairobi River, and Faith can attest to this, that was heavily polluted. There were garages that were operating from there, so all the waste from the cars, the oil, the whatnot, you know how our garage looks like. They used to be emptied into that part of the river. And if somebody had told you that that part could be rehabilitated, you would have said impossible. It would be a miracle. But we had a minister who said it is going to be as green as it is now. And right now, that part of the river, biodiversity is slowly coming back. There's fish. You would see uh, birds. It has become now a park where people can come, you know, just with your family. You want to picnic or you just want to enjoy nature and disturb. But if somebody had told you that that would be done, you would say impossible. So if we could do that for a section of the river and, you know, rehabilitate it completely, even with this rampant dumping and uh, careless disposal of waste, it can be curtailed if the government or if the enforcing agencies, you know, are committed to ensuring that people are following this. Like there's a place in Karyobangi. Karyobangi is one of the informal settlements within Nairobi. They just had newly come up roads. And, you know, another problem that used to come up was because of lack of access, uh, accessible roads when disasters like fire or stuff like that happen, people would say that the fire trucks are not able to access. So now they have new roads. And, you know, the way roads beautify a place, it's uh, two lanes, but now one lane has been now designated as a dumping ground on a beautifully created route. So I asked those people who are living there, the businesses, how is it that you accept it? This dump is right in front of your shop but you're not moving a muscle. So you would see people or in the community, maybe one, two, three people, they have been employed, say, by the chief's office or one of these local authorities draining them or emptying the drainages. But they put the dirt right on the edge of that drainage. So, of course, kids play around and whatnot, and it goes back in. So I'm just wondering, isn't there a way, like, how are people not concerned? How are you as a business owner or as a person living in that area not concerned about the state of this place because you see as much as the government also might be willing to do everything i always say there's not enough people to collect after every kenyan that you will dump but the government will send someone to pick after you there has got to be responsibility from the people themselves and if they will not do it willingly then they have to do it either because of fear of punishment or jail time or fines because if it's motivation either way i would take it because if you're waiting for people to do the right thing at the right time it's not always the case Faith, what do you have to say? So in my view, I think we have enough laws as it is. <laughs> like Christian said, I think the problem is just enforcement. But also there needs to be a show of goodwill uh, from all parties concerned. In developed countries, right now I'm in Germany. So in Germany, for example, the government is in a concerted effort with the private sector to make sure that, you know, when you sell something, there's a very clear take-back uh, mechanism for, that every company has to employ. Startups like ours have a very good ecosystem and support of their government to get their products into the market. So I think uh, African governments need to take this, uh, maybe copy this model, <laughs> encourage local solutions to their local problems, because the solutions are there. It's just a matter of finding them. Right now, I'm part of something they call the Circular Economy Accelerator. It's run by an organization called Circular Valley. Circular Valley has partners from a diverse range all over Germany. There's people are working together to find the best solutions to the circular economy challenges. Why isn't Africa doing the same? 
if Germany can do it, we can do it too, can't we? Not that complicated. It's just a matter of goodwill. People came together with a common goal in mind and are now working concertedly toward that common goal. Circular uh, Valley uh, is scouting every, twice a year, scouts for the best circular economy accelerators from the world, brings them into one place, gives them opportunities to network and find partnerships and p- potential funding opportunities to get their startups off the ground. Why did I need to come all the way from Africa to Europe to get this? Why isn't my government providing this kind of ecosystem? That's a question we need to ask. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to catch up on all the live shows right here on africatechradio.com.